0: In this episode, we are tackling the question, what does it take to be a man? In a world where men are expected to be stronger and less emotional, are they entitled to a haven where they feel safe and accepted, not only as a man, but as a human being with flaws and imperfections? Paul Edwards shares his stand on masculinity in raising sons and being a model they can emulate as they grow up. The founder of The Reluctant Thought Leader made an experiment on how to handle similar situations using a different approach, and the result has changed his view of fatherhood and leadership for good. Today, he gets to share his journey as a father to his boys and a leader of his community and the valuable insights he's learned along the way. The episode with Paul Edwards starts right now. You are listening to the Dad's Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dad's Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friends. Welcome to this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. The number one podcast dedicated to helping men build the leadership skills they need to truly be able to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the community around them. This podcast is designed to inspire you. It's designed to challenge you intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. And I do my best to bring on guests... Each time that are going to do exactly that to challenge you to get you to grow and to get you to think maybe just a little bit differently about how you make a difference in the lives of others every day. But before we begin, my name is Cam Hall. I am your host. I'm excited to dive into our conversation today. But if you are new here Welcome. Hit that subscribe button. I don't want you to miss out on any upcoming episodes. And if you're listening today and you hear this conversation and it brings you value or speaks to you in any way, please share it with someone you know. Tag us on social media at Dad's Making the Difference. Just let's pay it forward today and speak into the lives of others. Now, I want to introduce our guest today. Our guest today is a good friend of mine. His name is Paul Edwards. Paul and I have known each other since 2018. We mastermind together. We were actually surprise roommates, I would say, in I a mastermind event in Toronto back in 2018. And since then, our friendship has grown. We have an accountability relationship and we connect every week. And when I was thinking about men to bring on the podcast who would challenge our listeners, who would challenge me to think differently, Paul is definitely one of those men. Paul Edwards, he wears many hats. He's a ghostwriting agency owner, bestselling author, and master connector. Paul is a husband, father, older brother to younger men. He's a mentor. He's an amateur theologian, men's physique athlete. He's a voice mimic and recovering insurance salesman. Um, he is also an author. And if he wants to speak to his book, he will do that today. Uh, Paul is a first-generation speaking Spanish-speaking immigrant to the U.S. with African heritage and a Middle East combat experience. Paul's lived in five different countries, speaks two languages, and holds three passports. This guy has been all over Place and we'll get into that a little bit today. And you're watching on YouTube, you might be wondering, like, what is up with the attire today? I'll get there. Paul does one thing extremely well Paul communicates very well with people and he connects people with each other. When he isn't writing content for clients, you'll most likely find him speaking and building relationships for his network. Welcome to the podcast,
1: Paul. So good to be here with you, my friend, and uh, appreciate the uh, the introduction there. I, you did very very well with it, and uh, I sometimes forget some of those things about myself that I've put in my own intro. So thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. And so I, I mentioned, I mean, alluded to it in the intro. But if you are watching this on YouTube, you see that I am donned in the bright red, the black, and the gold of the calgary flames nhl hockey team and there's a little gripe here so you'll also see that paul is donning his favorite edmonton oilers jacket and so i thought it would be fitting if we uh did the battle of alberta version
1: battle of alberta is on
0: (laughs) so paul welcome to the podcast you no longer live in alberta you're coming to us from olympia Washington.
1: Yeah, but it no it doesn't really matter where you are. Oil country is always where I am. And so you're in oil country, Kim. Yeah. Well, just let me know how second place feels. <laughs> Actually, that's the thing about oil. It's rather easy to choke on a lot of the time. And so we're, we're pretty good at it. Oh, but excellent. I hear first place is like running around with your hair on fire and you never really know where you're going to end up. So, Also true.
0: Also true. <laughs> it's, just, it's exciting to watch. It's fun. Um, and you know, if, if you're not familiar with the NHL and the different rivalries that take place within that league, the Edmonton and Calgary rivalry has gone back to the early 80s and it is a heated,
1: heated rivalry. Uh, it would you even be, get the goalies out of net fighting with each other. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it would, for some of our maybe American listeners who are like rivalries, rivalries, like rivalry week. If you think about like a North Carolina Duke college basketball rivalry, that's where we're at with the Calgary Flames and Edmonton Oilers. So yeah. yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for, th- thanks for joining me today, Paul. I, I'm excited to get into our conversation today because you're a father, I'm a father, and many of the guys listening to this are fathers, you know, dads who truly want to make a difference in lives, their families. But we're going to talk about something specific today that I think many men, uh, I know I do, struggle with at times. And I'm not a father of a young boy, he's seven years old, and you have sons yourself. And we're going to talk about today about, you know, masculinity when it comes to raising sons and boys and being an example. And, and I'm eager to dive into that conversation with you. Uh, but first, of all, why don't you share a little bit about your story, uh, what you, where you're at right now, and really what brought us together and why we're having this conversation?
1: Mm, yeah, I, uh, you know, you come across people in life, um, and you you don't know why necessarily at first, uh, but but as 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 time goes by you You first, you find those commonalities, and then, if you can sense in the other person a sense of reciprocity, that there's a, a a an eagerness to give and take on a long-term basis, I gravitate towards people like that. and i've I've always tried to be that person. This dates back to my upbringing in Edmonton uh, through circumstances that uh, were, were were unfortunate for my family. I was I, I had to spend an awful lot of time in the company of my friends at their houses because my life at home was disrupted by mental illness, but in, in, in my mother. And so, um, our, our mutual buddy, uh, Dan bridges, who you, who you know, uh, is practically like a brother to me because I almost lived at his house for many years. And, um, so anyway, I would say, you know, to, to dig on how uh, you and I came together, I, I could sense that about you. And anytime I sense it about somebody, I'm like, that's who I'm going to concentrate a lot more energy on than the average person I meet going back further in time to <clears throat> the story of how I got to where I am. It's a very interesting meandering journey. I was born in Alberta, but I don't, uh, I, I am not a, I'm a first generation North American in my family, which is how I inherit. British nationality uh, and could even have been eligible for South African nationality because my mother was from Johannesburg. And uh, they ended up first in Toronto, then in Vancouver, and then in Edmonton when I arrived on the scene. But only about eight years into that jaunt, it was moving around again. And we emigrated to the United States and to Southern California, specifically, uh, where I lived for the next 13 years until I was a young man and And I decided I was going to take advantage of my British nationality and went and lived in London for a while, um, where I made the uh, decision almost on a whim uh, in the winter of 2002 to join the fight that was brewing in the Middle East and uh, be part of the United States Army. And so they shipped me off to Germany, where I deployed to Iraq a few months after I got there. And um, then I, after Germany, after that, I came back to Germany, married my bride who has now been my bride for 16 years. And we came back to the United States to Washington State, where I now live and have lived ever since. And um let's see, I think that covered all five countries I've lived in. I think so. so. No, I think <laughs> so. So there you go.
0: And and you're got a young family, your boys I know are busy with their activities and and baseball specifically. And I want to start getting into what it's like for you to be a father of young men. Mm-hmm. If if you could speak to, I know you're passionate about leadership as I am, and we've had lots of conversations when we <laughs> chat on Fridays, our accountability chats. And we've had a lot of conversations as fatherhood, as leadership, and the leadership responsibilities that we take on as men in our homes, whether it's as a spiritual leader, as as a husband, a father. Can you speak to your experience as it relates to interacting? as a leader, as a father
1: in your home. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I would love to, um, be able to lead off here and say that I'm, I've got a, uh, you know, thousand point one point 1,000 or whatever it is batting average. I'm not, I'm a baseball dad and I don't even know the game that well. I was a hockey player growing up, you know, obviously you're born in Alberta, you're born with skates on, uh, however, um, there are some things that I like to think I've, I've I've mostly figured out in a general sense. There's always specific instances that throw you for a curve, but there's a, uh, a very steady rhythm that I've discovered in relating to my sons. And part of this comes from exhaustion at having tried to relate to them one way and get nowhere with it. Uh, what I discovered over time was something that I think you're going to discover in just about any leadership situation, Kim, and that is that leadership is never about telling people what to do and then they do it. It's about getting them to tell themselves to do it so that they do it without thinking about it because it's the right thing to do, because it's the appropriate thing to do in context. Uh, I, it took me a long time to figure that out. But the interesting thing is, I, I just sort of one day threw out as an experiment, what would happen if I handled this situation totally differently and got exactly the result I was after? And I said, that's different. Let me try that again, just to make sure that this is not a one-off thing. And that hasn't stopped working for me since then. Yeah. What did you do differently? So, you know, having your boys, how old are your sons?
0: This they're the 13 and 11. Seven. Yeah. So they're yeah. right in the wheelhouse of starting to be a real pain in the butt sometimes. Right. <laughs> and and if you're listening to this, like, how can Cam say that? Come on. If you're a father of teen, like pre-teen boys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, what did you do differently in that, in that time that you're like, I'm going to try this again, and this seems to be working?
1: Well, I would say um, the, the, the main thing is I, I'm, a ver- I'm an observer of people. I'm fascinated by them. I, I always want to know, I see what they're doing. I don't always necessarily understand why they're doing it. And, and, and the why is so important to me. You could take this in any situation, right? But just for, just for the sake of discussion, let's use the classic example of uh, maybe in high school, you had a particular member of the opposite sex you were kind of keen on, and she couldn't have been less interested in you. In fact, she was interested in that guy over there. And he's not the best looking, richest, most you know, studliest guy, most likely to succeed, captain of the football team, homecoming king, whatever, right? He's just, he's got this, he's not a, not a particularly charismatic guy, not um, the, the, the top of the food chain. And yet she's like, she thinks the world of him. And, and you look at that and say, why? Mm. Why? Why does it, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the secret sauce there? Um, this, I think, happens though, you can take that, that same question to any relationship. Why are these people the way they are? So that's the backdrop. So one day, this was actually just in 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 my house here. I was exhausted at having to get up out of my seat and go and 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 enforce the right thing with my sons. I kept trying to enforce it. I'm going to force them to do no, no. It never worked. Like temporarily, it might get them to stop doing what they were doing, but then they'd go right back to it. So I was sitting on the sofa. And my bride is sitting right next to me, and she's getting agitated because you know my oldest is doing something he's not supposed to do. And in st- I was about to leap up out of my chair, and then I heard the voice in the back of my head: "It's not going to work." And so I said, "No, go ahead, go ahead, do what you do what you want to do, son." Go, do, no, no, no. He's like, he, and then you know, there, it creates this like gravitational pull. Now all of a sudden, he he, he need, now he's the one making the decision, and he's got to justify it. So he's like trying to trying to come back and, and tug me into it. I'm like, no, no. I I've, I've spoken to you enough about this. You know, my mind on what happens if you, if you choose to disobey me and do the wrong thing, you know, my mind. So you go ahead and do what you're going to do. I'll go ahead and do what I'm going to do. And they say, and then, you know, they try, they keep trying to pull you back at, well, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> you can find out what that is if you want. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not telling you. And um, it's, It's taking a long. It's taken a long time. So I I wish I could say that from that moment on, I never got disobedience again. That's not the case. What I have got is far fewer occasions of it since then. A, because they know I will follow through on the consequences if they disobey. But also B, because a lot more times they're starting to say they've they've banged their heads against the wall enough times to say, if I do this do I really have to sit and wonder what dad's reaction is going to be to it? Mm -hmm. No, no, it's, it's not much of a mystery anymore. So yeah, Yeah. let me just go ahead and do it, do what I'm asked.
0: (laughs) And and through that too, they became part of that process. So, you know, I think of my son Bray, and and he's, he's, he's younger, he's seven, he's running around. And if you're listening to this and you have, you have kids, it can be daughters too, but if you have sons who are running around and you know you need to redirect them or get after them for something, to do it to them, which that sounds like that's what you had been doing is you were doing it to them, uh, reacting to that, that situation. You shifted gears and instead of reacting, you started to respond, which brought them into the conversation. So instead of being done to them, it was done with them. And it made them an active participant in understanding, like, what decision am I going to make next? Because I know yeah. it could be coming, right? And so as you do that and you bring your sons into more conversations, do you find that it opened up other areas of connection and pathways for, for modeling masculinity for your sons in, in other ways?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, because of the culture that you and I both belong to, Cam, particularly with Iron Sharpens Iron, uh, I've, I've found it. I found myself in a place where I can own my bad decisions in front of them. And it's not, it doesn't degrade me in their eyes. It doesn't lessen me or make me any less worthy of respect. They still know, don't mess with dad. Right. Mm -hmm. But they also know, Oh, dad has weaknesses. Dad is not invincible. Dad is not perfect. Dad doesn't always call the right shot. And this came home for me really in a in a big way when I took Grant, my oldest, with me to Nashville uh, for one of the first uh, meetups of our mastermind group that was there, and took him to uh, to meet Big A, Aaron Walker, our our mutual mentor there in the in the mastermind. And we spent a little bit of time with him, and we ended up going over to see his house and and all of that. And uh, I I said, you know. I had to use the restroom, so I'm like, "Big A, I gotta go use." Right? He's like, "Just down the hall there." While I was in there, Grant was talking to Big A, and when I came out, uh, probably ten minutes later, or so we're walking back out to the truck, and uh, he said, "Hey, you should hear what what Grant said to me while you were in the using the restroom." And I said, "What did he say?" And uh, he said, "I couldn't. I've never heard this from someone his age." He looked at me and he said. I'm sorry if I'm not always making eye contact with you. I'm a, I feel a little bit nervous. Hmm. And I, I, I immediately thought to myself, there have been, I have not specifically told him to say that. What I have shown him though, is that it, it, it's always good to tell the truth about how you're feeling. It's always good to, with, with people you trust, right? Obviously, but right. It, it's always good to come out and say, I'm feeling angry, flustered, confused. Anxious, nervous. I don't know why. I, I couldn't even tell you why, but I can tell you that's what I feel inside. Mm. So he felt free to tell Big A that, having just met him the same day. And when, and when Big A told me, I was like, you know, the only thing I can say is I, I give credit right back to, to you and to Iron Sharpens Iron because it's taught me that, it's a, a, you know, that, that I have a place I can go and bear my soul, get the stuff out of my system. And, and hear other voices that can help me realign to who I truly am. And if, I've, if I can give a gift to my sons, that goes way beyond anything I could give them materially or even strategically, but just something that allows for them to drain the, the, the toxic feelings that build up inside us out of our systems, rather than end up on the top of the roof with a deer rifle picking people off. I mean, that, what, what better gift can you give to a man? Because well, to everyone who's listening, knows being a man is not—it's not a walk in the park. So,
0: and you brought up something. That. Yeah, you brought up something there that I want to
1: touch on, and
0: that was you had a conversation with your son. that Said it—it's important to let other people know how you're feeling. I think there's this stigma around feeling as a man, and as you raise your sons, I want to circle back to. You know, the framing of our conversation on modeling masculinity to his sons, because when we we've spoken about this before, but when we said, oh, let's dive into that today. I think there is this the stigma with masculinity that is the axe throwing fire lighting, you know, that type of beard growing all of it. Right. Yeah. Like here I am. I am man. This is manhood masculinity. But from what you're sharing is that's not the case. That masculinity shows its forms. Uh, actually, masculinity shows up in various forms.
1: Is that right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. L- look, I've, I have served five and a half years active duty. Um, I was trained to kill for a living. I've lived out in the you know, violence-filled deserts, carrying rifles around. I've driven massive trucks right past roadside bombs. There's there's nothing you could say to me that would ever suggest to me that I have not been a man's man. Mm -hmm. What I what most men could be accused of is stuffing down and refusing to give voice to that cauldron of intense spiritual, emotional energy inside them. For good reason right it, it's 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 unbecoming a man to do it in public to do it every day i get that i'm not saying we we just you know we have group therapy sessions every day i am saying every single man requires an environment of could be just one or two could be just a handful but not many of like-minded peers he can trust to whom he can bear his soul he needs a place that he can do that And it doesn't, it doesn't happen organically as it does in many cases with women, right? They, they, they form those attachments a lot easier because they have a glimpse into the spiritual dimension that we don't have. So we have to be very discerning about who we do this with, but we do need to do it. It's not, it's not negotiable because if you stuff it down inside and hide it and don't deal with it, eventually your interactions with the world around you become more and more degrading and toxic until you explode and you end up unleashing a, a, you know, behavior that has carries enormous consequences that you don't want to live through.
0: Yeah. Uh, You mentioned big A and and if you're listening to this, Paul and I are connected through a mastermind group. Um, It's a, it's a band of brothers that holds each other accountable, who are there for each other. And, you know, one of the draws to this podcast as well is building a community of support guys who will hold you accountable and kind of hold you to it when you say you're going to do something, but also are there as a sounding board where you need to process through. Do you find in, in reflection now, you know, being where you are connected to a mastermind and you've been in other masterminds in reflection now, do you feel that the decision to connect with a larger group to be vulnerable to do that to take that step did that play a role in your in your role as a father
1: i see the seeds of it being planted with my sons here and here and there a, a maxim i often return to is you actually need to be around for quite a while before you see some of what you've taught your kids to materialize in mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and that goes for good or bad right you can plant seeds now that you think nothing of it. And 15 years from now, you're thinking you don't even remember that you did it. And you, and if you find out that you did it, you're like, whoops, wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. But there's also stuff, right. You try and give it to them and they're simply not ready for it, but you don't have the luxury of, sometimes you don't have the luxury of waiting around until they are ready for it. You just got to try and give it to them and hope that, that someday it'll come back to them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons we have the proverb that says you train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's older, he won't depart from it. He'll remember it. Mm-hmm. But for right now, right, it'd be nice if it came with a caveat that said, but don't be, don't expect it to take root right now. Right now, he's still gonna act like an idiot half the time, so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> excellent.
0: You know, I, I remember getting, you know, by, by tr- profession, I'm an educator, you know, and so I stepped into education in my mid-20s, as a young teacher. And I remember getting a poem about little eyes and I can't remember the poem exactly, but the the gist of it was that it's not what you say. It's what you do because little eyes are on you and whether you know it or not, they're watching you. And I think about my son and my daughter right now and their little eyes that are on me. And it's not always what I say, but it's just as much of what I do. And it's just as much as how I navigate the world around me? How is dad responding to this situation? How is dad interacting with this person in public? Uh, When things are hard, is he losing it or is he calm? And like, I can tell dad's losing it on the inside, but he's thinking through this. Like our kids pick up on all that energy. And I wanted to ask you something. I wanted to ask you, you know, raising your kids and this could be connected to your professional life, your, your, personal life, whatever. But what's the hardest thing that you've had to navigate or overcome as a dad? Mm.
1: You know, I I say this with a twinge of regret, but not much because I believe it's all to be redeemed. I was the parent who little eyes were on, who didn't handle stress situations well, uh, reacted to varying degrees through... Disinterest, or through erupting, I, w- I was that man, and I, it's it's been a recurring prayer ever since um, that I, that I that somehow I have not planted seeds that I I really didn't want to, I didn't intend to, I didn't set out with it, and I had no expectation that my my kids would ever resist me to the degree they did. I knew they'd resist me, right, but I didn't know how doggedly they'd resist me. I think one other one. This is a little bit out of left field, but it's, it's tied in. And that is something I'm, I'm tentatively labeling the asymmetric warfare of marriage. <laughs> so war veteran, right? We, we go, and, and you can see the, 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 the lopsided irony of the fact that prior to our missions, we're lined up and we're, we're chanting the rules of engagement, right? Do the least harm possible. Kill only if you're threatened. Give every warning. Don't pull that trigger unless you absolutely have to. And the other, the other side, right? Before they go out to do their their thing, they're chanting "death to America," right? (laughs) It's 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 an asymmetric battlefield with an ideology that doesn't want to fight versus an ideology that that's all they care about is fighting. So I'm not trying to describe myself and my bride that way. I'm simply saying that I think a lot of men. Go into marriage expecting uh, masculine reciprocity from a feminine creature. You're not going to get that. And it can create a lot of stress. Now, we have a very peaceful marriage and, and always have. You know, I like to joke. We, we, we both said I do, and we haven't agreed on a single thing since, but we've never done it. <laughs> If we never we've never done it like aggressively, obnoxiously, it's it's never entered either of our minds to, you know, to get serious about that that kind of thing to the point where we would do anything drastic. And my sons have seen that, but what they didn't see, what I have been modeling in the last couple of months, and I've seen because my younger one really picked up on this, what they didn't see was me continually uh, taking extreme ownership of the masculine component of the of the union and what i mean by that is i i wasn't doing everything i could have been doing to bring as much uh loving strong masculine energy to my bride as i could that enables her to relax into her feminine energy Mm -hmm. and you and i've talked about this a little bit and and i and i honestly you know i i had heard people say that the best Thing you can give your kids, male or female, is to show them that dad loves mom. That more than, and just about anything else you can communicate uh, will, will, will give them a very stable footing upon which to grow up. And I hadn't been like, you know, I, I, was, I, was just, I was just okay with that. And I could have been doing so much more all this time. And so do I feel a little bit of regret about that? Yes, I do. But, but what I've done in the last 10 weeks, you ought to see What that's doing with my sons, particularly my younger one, picked up on this fact that I started drawing a a, a bath for my bride, right? I just get the flowers and the candles and light to turn on the music and lower the lights and let her relax in there. And I'll go take care of dinner, right? And the 11-year-old saw that and then he started running the bath. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's like, now I have free labor (laughs) right, (laughs) and I get that part done for me. So anyway, it's just these things you can model, right? And, but he's going to take that with him, right? He's going to take that as this is how to treat your bride. Correct. And, and can you imagine if that's his habit that he just does day in and day out because he sees me doing it week in and week out? We do it like once a week. Mm-hmm. The, the young lady that, that, that he finds to, to, to spend the rest of his life, she's going to be one happy young lady if she gets stuff like that from him every week without having to ask for it, just because he loves her, because he's generous, because it flows naturally with his personality.
0: There's been a couple of times where you've uh, mentioned masculine energy versus feminine energy. How do you define masculine energy?
1: Mm, Good question. I, I, it took me a long time to find this. I didn't find it through my own efforts. I found it through the recommendation of a friend. It's, um, these definitions are the best ones I've heard. They're from a book. You will not find this in the faith-based section, but that's okay because the faith-based section isn't offering anything that's really worth looking at. Right. So, <laughs> um, the way to express it in the way that we all uh, aspire to, or gravitate to, or are drawn to, goes something like this, and that is that the masculine ecstasy is experienced through the release into freedom. So. When, in game seven, the Oilers score with 10 seconds left to take a one- goal lead over the flames, thereby eliminating them, <laughs> right, via Voxer, you will experience my masculine ecstasy. Whereas my bride will be sitting right next to me watching that, and she say, "What's all the fuss about?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. However, when I, day after day after day after day, morning, noon and night exhibit and and flow love and affection and praise and gratitude towards her Uh, you know what and it can be words it can be gifts it can be any number of things right the feminine exalts in the flow of love and relationships which is why she will just she watches a hallmark movie oh that's so cute that's so sweet and and you bring her flowers up Mm, those are so and you're and you're sitting there like big whoop. Right. <laughs> yeah. But she loves it. Yeah. And, um, as I thought about this, I said, no wonder it's asymmetric, right? No wonder you can't, you know, you, when, when we talk to our sisters in the ISI women's mastermind, they don't do challenging each other and, you know, they don't yeah. do rough and tumble yeah. because it doesn't work on them. It works on us. So we think, well, you know, we're, we've been raised in this culture where we're told we're, men and women are the same. They're not. And this is the clearest evidence of it. They don't respond to that, right? They or they respond to it with the, you know, with contempt. And and you can't. What, what are you going to do? Enforce it on them? No, you can't do that. So I, I'm just like, it's just good to recognize up front. It's an asymmetric relationship. It's yeah. not two equals, two equal, two people who are equally valuable. Not two people who are identical.
0: You know, you're sharing that that definition, and man, I haven't thought about this for a long time. But it reminds me of an experience, a story from my life where uh, my family was together. I have two brothers, so my dad, my two brothers, myself, and my mom. And I can't remember exactly the context. I think there was something on on TV. Uh, my mom was uncomfortable with it. We weren't changing the channel because as guys, we're just like whatever, big big deal. And, and then, she, but she was really put off by it, and she got emotional about it. And she's like, "I can't believe you boys." And she got up and she left the room. And We're like, "Well, what's going on?" You know. And it actually tumbled into this conversation of like you don't understand that you guys, you boys, are around yourselves and around boys on your team and college sport, all this all the time. But this mm-hmm. is not how a woman would react to the situation. You, if I remember my mom saying, if you ever want to be a good husband, you need to figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah. And so I'm thinking about that as you're, you're talking about feminine and masculine and how, and uh, men and women can have both traits, right? We of know course. that. Of course. Yeah. But what would you, what encouragement would you give? To a dad who might be listening to this, who has sons, uh, he might have a daughter, but he's, he's managing a situation in his home where he wants to ensure that both feminine energy, masculine energy, this is being respected, accepted, understood and yet it is all boy all the time and he doesn't know quite what to do because he's starting to see this little bit of tension between him and his wife and he doesn't quite know where it's coming from and he's listening to this he's like ding maybe that's where it's coming from so what in, what's an action item or encouragement that you would give to a guy right now who's at home raising his family to to balance that energy in his home
1: i can tell you what, some of the things that we do Because I hate to sound prescriptive for unique circumstances that I know nothing about, right? Yeah. A key thing is that uh, Shannon and I never publicly oppose one another in front of the children. So if we disagree with how things are done, we disagree amongst ourselves without their input or ability to hear it. And if she's giving them a, you know, if she's giving, telling them, I need you to do something. And they're doing what they do, right? Testing it, trying to test the boundaries. There's nothing like a a a sharp look from dad or a stern word from dad to reinforce it. That suddenly, suddenly the wheels begin to turn, and you know, right things things begin to happen. It's the old, um, it's the old National Geographic with all the juvenile elephants, and they brought in a bull male, and all it took was a couple of stamps of the feet and a few trumpets here and there, and those juvenile males got in line, right. Uh, beyond that, what I want to say is not only if if you're a father and you want feminine energy flowing in the house, it's not a, it's not a it's not this is not turn in your man card kind of thing, right? Right. You want it flowing from a feminine source because it's delightful, mm-hmm. because it's it's rejuvenating and refreshing and inspiring, and particularly in the bedroom, right? You you want a feminine soul balancing out those things i go to one of my favorite questions from rabbi daniel lapin he says if you're stranded at two o'clock in the morning in in, in uh, you know new york city your car's broken down and you see four figures approaching you through this you know just through the silhouette of the street light if it's four young single men you're in, you might be in trouble if it's two guys out for a walk with their wives yeah no not you're not you're going to be okay right and, and that's the whole the whole thing. they They have a way, and it's not always the most pleasant because, yes, it does uh, limit the un, unrequited freedom that we're that we're looking for. But the truth is, right? We know that discipline brings freedom, and confinement of the amount of freedoms we have leads to the greatest freedom in all the right areas. So you want to unleash that feminine energy. And sometimes it's just artlessly seductive and appealing and, and rejuvenating other times. Yeah, I can, I can agree. It's, it's kind of annoying. However, it's a lot wiser than masculine energy. Masculine energy has a way of being explosive without much consequence, right? So feminine energy grounds that, because it's much it's much more wisdom and down-to-earth than we are. I hope that's a good explanation of it, yeah, but no. I, I don't want to be too vague.
0: No, thank you. It's. I think it's important for us here, you know, from somebody who's been navigating this. And I know that you've been focused more on this in the last, you know, maybe th- three months. This has really come to a head for you. And you're like, I need to do something different in our home. Um. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing kind of where you and Shannon are at, how that impacts your boys, um, setting the example for them, bringing them into the conversation as active participants in that. I think about your son running a bath for his mom. Like like these, these things are very cool. And so, you know, as you move forward and you continue to, you know, raise your sons, what are some things that you're excited about right now? What's coming up for you? Um, anything on the horizon that you're like, this is what we're working towards. Uh,
1: well, they are both heavily involved in baseball. Our, our lives get swallowed, uh, especially during the summer by baseball. They've also become roller hockey players. I, but I didn't try to foist this on them at all, but they discovered two kids in the neighborhood who are roller hockey players. And so they play a lot of roller hockey now, which is, you know, I can, I can speak a little bit more authoritatively about that. I would say, Cam, the most, the thing I'm hopeful about is you get glimpses of it right you you see how they interact with other adults mm-hmm. with their coaches how they handle themselves in situations things that they become capable of doing for themselves and you no longer have to show them they 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 respond smarter their friends come over and their friends don't always know the rules and so one of them act you know pushes the boundaries a little bit and one of my sons quickly moves it. Don't provoke him. Don't argue with him. <laughs> right. So they know, yep. right. And you know that they know, they just don't want to say it. So you, you, you allow that. But there, I, I find a lot of hope, even in disciplinary situations where I'm saying, they're saying to, they keep trying to pull the thread and I keep saying, nope. You know, they, they say, well, tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm like, I've told you what you're supposed to do for the last 13 years of your life. If you haven't heard it in the last 13 years, you're not going to hear it today. And then they sort of slink off and they do what they know they're supposed to do. So you're like, it's in there. It's in there. All that, all that is required is the, the alignment of the motivation, which will come with time. Mm-hmm. I would say with everything that's stacked against raising healthy kids in traditional nuclear families these days, I have every reason to be very encouraged by all the hard work my bride and I have done and optimistic. Cautiously optimistic, because you never know what can happen, but optimistic nonetheless, that they'll, they'll turn out just fine. If I made it this far, I mean, I'd, I had nothing like the kind of upbringing they had, spiritually speaking. If they've made it this far. If I made it this far, they've, there's, there's plenty of gas left in the tank for them.
0: Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you taking time to have a conversation today. I know we have conversations every week, and it's just like, man, like, We got to bring some other people into this conversation because we dive into all these things, right? That's the power of having somebody who's an accountability partner or a group that surrounds you is, you know, diving into, and I said at the beginning of of this episode, you know, what's going to challenge me intellectually and spiritually and emotionally, relationally with the people around me. And of course, physically, like the things that we do physically in our lives. So thank you, Paul, for joining me today. And I wish you all the best, my friend
1: to be here thanks so much cam
0: thank you for joining me today on this episode of the dad's making a difference podcast i hope you found value in today's show and if it made a positive impact on you please share it with someone you know leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes i'm cam hall thank you for spending time with me today and i will see you on the next episode of the DMD Podcast.